Well, today we uh, will be in Revelation chapter 3 again. Revelation chapter 3. We have been for the past um, five weeks studying through six of the seven churches to whom Jesus had the Apostle John write to on his behalf. And if you remember when we studied Revelation chapter 1, we saw where Jesus said to the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. So these individual letters weren't, I mean, the little sections that we see to the church of Ephesus and Smyrna and such, not just that portion was sent to the churches, but this entire book was sent to the churches. But again, we've taken a look at six of those seven churches thus far, and uh, all of our past studies are, of course, available on the website and on iTunes if you missed any of them. So you can go back and listen to those teachings in their entirety. But today we're going to take a look at the seventh and final church to whom Jesus had John write this book to. So we pick up our study today in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3 here. And Jesus says to the apostle John, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So a lot of powerful stuff wrapped up in that one verse there. The church of the Laodiceans, just to give you a brief history lesson, this, the city of Laodicea was originally called Diospolis, the city of Zeus. It was referred to as the city of Zeus. Zeus, of course, is a false god of the Greeks who believed that Zeus was the father of gods and men. Zeus, that's who they claim, was the father of gods and men. And they call him the god of the sky and the god of thunder. But a man named Antichus II came along and made the city larger, and he renamed the city after his wife, Laodis. Her name was Laodis. And in 65 AD, the city was destroyed by an earthquake. But the ruins of Laodicea are still in existence today. So that's just a little history on it there. But of course, at the time that Jesus spoke to John and had John write this letter, there was a body of believers that were living in this city, or at least they called themselves believers. And Jesus addresses these people here, and in verse 14, he calls himself the Amen. That word Amen can, can be translated as, so let it be. In other words, amen is the final word. What has been said has been said, and nothing can be added to what has been said. So Jesus is addressing this church as the one who has the final word in their lives. Okay? 
What he says is all that matters. Nothing can be added to what Jesus has to say. He is the amen. Okay? And today, as it relates to the, the lives of us all, right? All of mankind, that is, Jesus has the final word and will have the final word. Many people say that, you know, they, they can say what they want to say or believe what they want to believe, but in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, Scripture tells us. And His word to each one of us is the final word. He also says in verse 14 there that He is the faithful and true witness. So as it relates to this church, the church of the Laodiceans, not only did Jesus have the last word, but the words that he speaks are absolute truth. He is faithful. He never changes. Okay? As the book of James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, that with our God, it says, there is no, no variation or shadow of turning. So, in other words, it doesn't get any more as settled, as matter-of-fact, as how it is with what our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has to say. He is the Amen. He is the faithful and true witness. Many people today, for example, testify in legal trials throughout our country, right? But the witness that carries the most weight are the ones that are faithful and true. Okay? We can depend on that type of a witness. We can depend on their testimony. Jesus speaks the truth. He reveals what actually is and what is not. And this is how he is addressing this church. The amen, the one with the final word, and the one who is faithful and true. And verse 14 also tells us there that he is the beginning of the creation of God. So that speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. You see, as it relates to time eternal, nothing existed before Jesus. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 tell us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Okay, so it speaks of creation. Okay? Colossians 1.17 says of Jesus that He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Hebrews 1.10, speaking of Jesus, says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So we see that Jesus was the beginning of creation. He was there. And of course, we studied recently in Revelation chapter 1, where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So make no mistake about who Jesus is. He is God Almighty. Okay? And we also know that he is the one here addressing this church of the Laodiceans. And as we have studied through these churches thus far, these six, now the seventh church, we've seen some very practical things that apply to our lives today and our understanding of who God is and we're able to grow in our knowledge of him. 
But again, Jesus addresses this church as the amen, the final word, the faithful and true witness, the one who speaks the real facts of the matter. And he is the beginning of the creation of God. He is God Almighty. He knows all because he made all. And nothing is hidden from him. So what does he have to say to this church? Okay. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So with the other churches we've studied thus far, we've seen some good works, some things that Jesus warned them that they needed to repent of as well, right? Ephesus, for example, when we studied about the church of Ephesus, it was commended by the Lord for their good works. And they were also warned by him to go back again and to do the works they did when they first fell in love with the Lord. Return to that place of your first love. Then we saw with the church of Smyrna to whom Jesus had John write. Smyrna was a church that had a lot of tribulation, a lot of trials. And the Lord told them to be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. The church in the city of Pergamos held fast to the name of the Lord, and they did not deny their faith. But they, but they sternly, the Lord sternly warned them, though, to get rid of sexual immorality that was in their midst. And today we know that there are many so-called believers that practice fornication, right? Sex outside of marriage. And we also know that many churches today are opening their doors to sexually immoral people. Some are even ordaining ministers that are openly in sexual immorality. So the church in the city of Thyatira, we also studied about, they were known for their love, their service, their faith, and their patience. But Jesus rebuked them also because they allowed idol worship within their members. They also seemed to turn a blind eye to sexual immorality. They allowed this to be in their church as well, or in the congregation of the people, right? In the lives of the people. And then we saw the church of Sardis, that they gave the appearance that they were a thriving church, but they were dead spiritually. Jesus said to them, he said, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. And he said to them that if they didn't repent, that he would come upon them as a thief in the night. This was the church to whom Jesus said, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So we see that there is more to being a Christian than just keeping up appearances, than, than, what, than, than just what meets the eye, right? We must live a life of obedience as followers of the Word of God. And we must live that life all the way till the end to be an overcomer, right? Then we studied where Jesus spoke to the church of Philadelphia and commended them for keeping His Word and for not denying his name. 
And that's easy to do nowadays. It's easy to not keep the word of the Lord. And it's easy to deny the name of the Lord in the way that we live our lives. Okay? But Jesus told them that they needed to persevere. He told the church of Philadelphia, you need to persevere. And that if they did, and if they did overcome, that he would make them a pillar in the temple of God. And we, I expounded on all of that last week. But he also told them that he would write their, the name of his God and the name of the city of his God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from out of heaven. He said, I'll write that name on you, right? In other words, they had a place in heaven and they would belong to God because they overcome, because they kept the faith, because they did not deny his name. So we see practically as we study these churches that there are things that we need to do as believers in Jesus Christ. We need to stay the course, right? And as we've gone through the entire New Testament, uh, New Test Testament, we have um, saw that over and over again that we need to stay the course. We need to finish the race. We need to fight the fight of faith. We need to keep the word of God, right? We need to be doers of the word, right? So again, for the believer that stays the course, that keeps the word of the Lord, that person is, is promised an eternal home in heaven. So I just kind of recapped for you there some of the things that we've studied about the six other churches. And to each one, there was something that Jesus pointed out specifically to them. But to the church of the, the Laodiceans, Jesus just simply says that they weren't cold or hot. And he wishes that they were one or the other. They needed to make a decision, in other words. You see, you can't just sit on the fence when it comes to being a follower of the Lord, a servant of the Lord. He wants us to be one or the other. You see, there's a picture in the book of Acts as to how the body of Christ needs to be. Let's mark this page and turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look down at verse 38, but here in Acts chapter 2, we get a very clear picture of how the early believers live their lives. Verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is where it all begins for a born-again Christian. This is where it all starts. Repentance is the first requirement. A person is to turn from their sin. They are then to be baptized to express this commitment to the world around them. Okay? They are then born again of the Spirit. And, and uh, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, that we need to be, right? And Peter continues here in verse 39. He says, For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. In other words, far into the future, right? 
So the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So this all took place 2,000 years ago, and still today, people have the opportunity to repent and to be born again. The gospel still goes forth. We're still living in that period of time. You see, we're studying the seven churches right now. But as we, and, and, and the first three chapters of Revelation here are directed to the church, to us, the body of believers, individuals in Jesus Christ. And we see commendations. We see the Lord saying, hey, this is what's good. And we see the Lord saying, clean this up. Okay. But now as we, after we move on this week and we move into chapter 4 of Revelation all the way through chapter 22, it's not about the church anymore. The church isn't even mentioned anymore. It's all about future events. It's all about the coming tribulation. It's all about the coming of the Lord. Okay? The church isn't mentioned anymore. So, so it's just kind of interesting to me that, the, that in this book here, in the first three chapters, we're hearing, hey, to the church, to the believers, hey, this is how you need to be living before this time comes. It's time for you to get right or get left, right? It's time for you to be hot or be cold, okay? But anyway, in verse 40 here, then Peter said, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation, okay? So again, we are to come out of this world. We are not to even resemble the people that we once were before we came to Christ. So what happened with these people? Verse 41 says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So people took that step of faith. They received the words that the Apostle Peter spoke to them through the leading of the Holy Spirit. They repented of their sins. They were baptized. And at that point, they became part of the church, the body of Christ. Did it stop there for them? Is that all they did? Did they just go back to life as normal after that? No. Verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine. Do you have, do we have the Apostles' Doctrine today? Yes, we do. We have it right here in our Bibles. And we are to continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, even to this, till this very day. Again, it says they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and fellowship, it says, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Okay? They, they had this life they were living that was a spiritual life. The, the, the Lord was first. Serving the Lord was first. Fellowshipping with other believers took priority over everything else. Okay? And they were people of prayer. Then verse 43 says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. In other words, the people around them were being affected by this what was going on in the lives of these believers and what these believers were doing and how they were living. Fear came upon everyone else around them because they say, what's going on? You know, we don't know God like they know God. God's not working in our lives like He's working in their lives, right? 
And then verse 44 says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So they didn't just gather for themselves. They took care of each other and they shared with one another and they made sure that people in the body of Christ that had need were taken care of. And in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So you see, even though the power of God was working in these people's lives, they weren't turning people off to them. Actually, it says that they had favor with all people, right? And the Lord was adding to the church because of this. See, these people were filled with the love of God. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they changed, they repented, and they gave their lives completely to the Lord, and they lived for Him, right? So this group of people was sold out for the Lord. They were born again of the Spirit. And they lived the, the life as followers of Jesus Christ. And they were, they were in no way they accused of being lukewarm. They were hot. They were on fire for the Lord. They lived it out. And Jesus says to the church of the Laodiceans, I wish you were one or the other. Make up your mind. Are you going to live for me or not? Right? And then back in Revelation chapter 3, this church, the church of the Laodiceans, was guilty of being lukewarm. Okay, And they weren't really living the life. And in verse 16, Jesus says, So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So you see this type of person that's not fully committed to the Lord, leaves a bad taste in the mouth of the Lord. Remember, Jesus wants us to live in such a way that we are completely surrendered to Him. He wants us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He wants us to make, us, to make Him the top priority. And we can't think that we can live lukewarm. We can live in such a way that says, well, I'm committed to the Lord on this day of the week or for this one hour of the week, but the rest of my week, I'm not. I do what I want. I live how I want and I come to church and it's a good deed that I'm doing and I'll repent on Sunday and that type of thing. No, that's a, a lukewarm thing. The Lord describes that as, spit that out of his mouth. That's, no, that's, that's not what the Lord wants from us, you see. And Jesus said in John 14, 23, that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So that's the litmus test, if you will, as to whether a person loves the Lord or not, whether they keep his word or not, right? whether they live it out. There are many people that belong to churches today. Some people belong to the same church for 50 years, but they're never born again. They're never born again of the Spirit. They're never filled with the Spirit. They've never changed. They've never repented. They've just simply added religion to their lives. And they live this way on Sunday. 
and then kind of, you know, live lukewarm Monday through Saturday. Okay? In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, it says that we are born again through the Word of God. So many people that call themselves Christians never even study the Word of God. They don't even know the Word of God. They don't even know what's in their Bibles. But the Bible says that we're born again through the Word of God. So how can you be born again if you don't know the Word of God? Many churches today in America don't even open the Bible. Or they might take one verse and talk about it just a little bit or make it feel good to everybody and, and then everybody goes home. But no one's really being challenged by the Word of God to say, hey, I need to repent. Hey, I need to, to, to live differently, right? And So in some way, shape, or form, people have to come to know the Word of God. In Romans chapter 10, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear about him without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? So you see, someone we need to take the gospel to the world, and the person taking the gospel, the preacher, needs to be sent. In other words, they need to be supported. They need to be taken care of in doing that. And then in Romans, it says also says in Romans chapter 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. But then it goes on to say, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Not everybody obeys the gospel. For, I, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our, our report? And then in Romans it goes on to say, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So the Word of God is of utmost importance because it's how people get faith. You know, when you study the Gospel of John as we did five years ago uh, here on Sunday mornings, but... When you study the Gospel of John, it tells us why it's written. It's written so that people can come to believe in Jesus Christ. Right? So we need to hear the Word of God. People need to hear the Word of God because that increases our faith. We get knowledge about the Lord and it increases our faith as we do. But we also then, when we hear it, we need to be obedient to it. Right? And we cannot allow ourselves to be lukewarm as Christians because Jesus does not accept that type of person. And in verse 17 here, Jesus continues to describe that lukewarm person. And he says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, what's that tell you? It's a person trusting in their comfort zone. Trusting in their house, trusting in their cars, trusting in their job, trusting in their, their, what money can buy. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. So how many people in America today, though, equate prosperity with being blessed? How many people in America equate prosperity with godliness? 
the name it and claim it preachers of today. The ones that say you are to be healthy and wealthy. The ones that say you are to love yourself, speak positive words, and you can have your best life now. And these people fill the pulpits and they fill the airways and they fill our television sets today preaching a false doctrine. Not preaching the truth of the Word of God. Let's just briefly turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, But know this, that in the last times, or excuse me, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, You see, this is what Jesus is speaking of to the church of the Laodiceans, right? This is how they were. I've become wealthy. I'm rich. I have need of nothing, right? They're they're boasters. They're proud. They're lovers of money. They're lovers of themselves. And as we flip back to Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says to these people that say these things, he tells them that, They do not know that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In the book of James chapter 1, it says that we must be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You see, this is what Jesus is saying here. There are people professing with their mouth that everything's okay with them. I'm okay. You know, they're rich. They speak positive words and, you know, they're not living in, but they're not living in accordance with God's word, right? Because they don't know God's word. They don't gather around God's word. They don't take the dusty Bible off of the shelf and read God's word, right? Remember, this is Jesus speaking here. The amen, the one with the final word, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is the Almighty saying this here. He knows all. He sees all. He has a perfect knowledge of each one of us. He sees who we really are and who we really are not. And He calls us to be obedient to His word to be sold out to Him, to be dead to ourselves, to be alive in Christ. Like the Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, if I live in this life, it's all for the Lord. It's all for His glory. He's, he has the preeminence in my life. And then if I die, that's gain too because I go to be with Him. So it's the Lord now, it's the Lord then, it's the Lord always. And we must be you know, internally on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on in verse 18 and says to them, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich 
and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You see, when you are born again, everything becomes different at that point. Old things pass away, Scripture says, and all things become new. Jesus refines us on the inside, and he does this through his word. And then we become rich toward the things of God, spiritually rich, right? We begin to care more about storing up treasure in heaven than we do about storing up treasures here on earth. And the things of this world grow strangely dim, as the old song says, because we're keeping our eyes on him, right? We put on new garments, right? We've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything becomes new. Our sins are washed, washed away. Our shame, our nakedness is covered. And our eyes are anointed with him. And we see life in a whole new way. Jesus says, come to me. This is what, you, this is what happens when you come to me. Your eyes see things differently. Everything becomes new. Let's look at some more scriptures. Go ahead and mark this page and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And let's start reading in verse 1, Colossians 3, 1. It says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So this speaks of that born-again person. And if you think about that, if you then were raised with Christ... Right? We get a picture of being raised with Christ in baptism. Okay? Because in baptism we are buried. Like you're put under the water and it symbolizes, it's symbolic of you're being dead to the old person. And you're being raised to a newness of life. Okay? So he says, if, you then being, uh, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is is sitting at the right hand of God. In other words, if this is the case in your life, if you're professing this and you've been raised with Christ, well then this is how you should be living. You should be seeking those things that are above. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So our lives shouldn't be about material things. So all these Bible teachers, so-called Bible teachers, that get up there and tell you that, well, you're to have a higher self. You're to be a better self. You're to be a good self, your best self now. You're to be rich. You're to be wealthy. You're to have all these things, right? The scripture here tells us not even to set our minds on the things of this earth, but to set our minds on the things that are above, okay? So when you're living for that new car, that big house, that great job, that whatever, you run the list on down. When you're living for all of these things that you want to name and claim, you're not living for God. Because if you were, you'd be setting your mind not on things of this earth at all, but on things that are above. 
In other words, we're just passing through. We're, heaven's our home. This is where we are going. And verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So as a result, in other words, as a result of living with your eyes fixed on the things that are above, right? Setting your mind on the things that are above. The result of that is you're going to live with the Lord in glory someday when he appears. So then verse 5 says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay? When you covet something, you're like, man, I, I want that car. I'll do anything to get that car. I'll work two extra jobs to get that car. I covet that car. That car becomes an idol to you. It becomes something that's of a high priority in your life. Okay? And I'm just using some material things like a car or whatever. The Lord knows we have need of our car. The Lord knows we have need of our house, shelter, and all that stuff right? But he doesn't want us setting our hearts on these things, okay? He doesn't want us that being the goal of our lives. He wants to be above all else, right? Verse 6 says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, okay? So there was a time when none of us were born again, right? You're not born again when you're born as a baby just because you're born into a Christian family, just because your dad was a Christian, or just because your mom was a Christian, or, oh, I have an uncle who is. Does that get me in? No. You know? No, it's, it's we once walked without the Lord ourselves, and we needed to be born again. Verse 8 then says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Okay? So we see in these verses that we are to put off a whole bunch of stuff, right? But, and, and, and we are to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Right? Who created us? God created us. And we're to put on this new man that's more like God. Right? That's why we say, what would Jesus do? Right? We look to the scriptures and see how he wants us to live. We look to his word and say, this is God's word. And I need to live in obedience to it. Okay? But that's what happens when a person comes to Christ. They put off the old ways of how they lived without Christ. And they stay away from things like filthy language, dirty jokes, drinking parties, and such like that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. You see, when you're born again, you don't even choose to hang around in a circle with people that are drinking and yucking it up and doing all this, you know, and 
living in that manner. You don't even have a desire to be around them. You avoid it. And you, you want to stay away from it. Because we spend enough time in our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, as 1 Peter 4, 3 says. And yes, when you come to Christ and you have put on the new man, 1 Peter also says that other people will think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will say, oh, man, they're not even hanging around in our circle here. We're sitting around drinking, we're partying, we're laughing, we're having fun, we're doing all of these things, and they're over there. They think that's strange, Peter says. Now, of course, we know that there are those who profess Christianity that still participate in those kind of things. There are people that profess Christianity. They say they're Christians, but yet they live that way, and they do all those things. And that's who Jesus is addressing here in the church of the Laodiceans. Those that are lukewarm. Those that he's going to vomit out of his mouth. They think they're professing Christianity, but they ain't living in accordance with the word of God. So as we flip back to Revelation chapter 3, these are some hard facts that we're seeing in the word of God, but they're coming from the Amen. They're coming from the faithful and true witness. They're coming from the one who is the beginning of the creation of God. They're coming from Jesus Christ. They are some stern warnings as to how you are to live when you are a born-again believer. But why does Jesus tell us all of this? Well, here in Revelation chapter 3, he gives the answer in verse 19. and He says, as many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. You see, Jesus loves us. He cares enough about us to speak the truth to us. You know, not many people like to speak the truth to people today. They want to just tell things that make people feel good. Honey, do I look fat in this dress? Oh, no. You look wonderful in that dress. <laughs> I'm just kidding about that. But whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is, right? People don't want to speak the truth. But Jesus says, I rebuke and I chasten those that I love. So therefore, be zealous, repent. You see, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You see, the Word of God doesn't always make us feel good. It doesn't always give us that good feeling, right? Sometimes it hits us right between the eyes, so to speak. But that's what the Word of God does. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But it has a purpose in doing all of that because 2 Timothy also says, 2 Timothy 3.17 says that the reason that the Word of God does this in our lives is so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God is preparing us to, to live for His glory. And He says here, be zealous and repent. In other words, change. Put forth the effort to change the way you live. 
Don't sit back on religious philosophies. Okay? Don't buy the false doctrines of today that keep you lukewarm and living for the things of this world. Don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth. Too many churches today in America are lukewarm. And more importantly, too many people that profess to be Christians will have a rude awakening waiting them if they don't repent. If they don't turn from their lukewarm way of living. And keep in mind that Jesus has said time and time again, here in the first three chapters of Revelation, He has said it over and over again, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So He is speaking not just to these churches, but He's speaking to you and me today, to all believers. And He says here in verse 20, back in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So Jesus is calling out to our hearts today. Be zealous. Repent. He's knocking. Right? Will we humble ourselves and let him come in to our lives and sit down in our hearts and dine with us? When we have that intimate fellowship, that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot make that mistake of being this lukewarm group of believers as the Laodiceans, right? They did. They were lukewarm because they thought they had it all. They thought everything was okay. But they didn't realize how poor, how wretched, how blind they were because they, they don't have Christ dwelling richly in them. And are not completely living for His glory. And in 2 Corinthians, we're told, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, we're told to examine ourselves as to whether we are in the faith or not. We're told to test ourselves. Right? He says, Paul says in that letter, he says, Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are disqualified? So in other words, if Christ is in you, then you're to be living differently. You're to be living a holy life, a separated life. So be zealous and repent. Okay? Being a born-again Christian is not a spectator sport. Okay? It's a life that we live. Right? It's a faith that produces works. And when the Lord knocks, we must respond. And allow Him to come in and take more of our lives than we've already surrendered to Him. And we're to surrender all to Jesus. And there is a promise for those that do. And Jesus gives us that promise here in verse 21. He says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. In other words, Jesus came to the earth and Jesus overcame. He did it for us. He wants us now to overcome. He doesn't want us to give in to the sin of this world. He doesn't want us to live in the ways of this world. 
right? Heaven awaits us. We're just passing through. James describes this life as but a vapor. It's for a very short time, and then it's gone. So we're not to seek after the things of this world. We can't allow ourselves to become lukewarm. We must be on fire for Jesus Christ, and we must guard our hearts against the false doctrines, and we must know the Word of God, and we must fix our eyes on Jesus through His Word. For he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And Jesus, again, the amen, the faithful witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He finishes this part of this letter to the seventh church. And again, he says in verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. For your living and active word, your powerful word, your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord, your word that does a work within us that no other words can do. But God, may we hear your word, and not just hear, but may we respond to your word and become doers of your word and not forgetful hearers, Lord. May we not be a people that are lukewarm, Lord, but may we be on fire. May we live. May we be zealous. May we repent. May we live our lives for your glory at all times, Lord. May we seek first the things of God. May we seek what is above rather than the things of this earth, Lord. Cause us to see. Show us the things that are that have captivated our eyes, have captivated our mind, the lust of our flesh, the, the, the lust of our eyes, the pride of life, Lord. Lord, you have wonderful things prepared for us, Lord, beyond this life. And you call us to be not of this world. Right? We're in it, but we're not to be of it. But we are to be of your word, Lord. We are people of the word of God who are born again through the word of God. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. And Lord, may we take that step of faith to be zealous and to repent and to live this life from this moment forward for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, the, the, the faithful witness, the amen, the beginning of the creation of God, the everlasting God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy of all honor and glory. And we bless your holy name. And we thank you again for this time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.